Today's episode of Cold Case Frozen Tundra is sponsored by Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace that brings together podcasters and brands on an easy-to-navigate, simple-to-use platform, connecting shows of any size with those looking to sponsor host-read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. It's important to us that we choose to collaborate with the brands and products we love, ones we want to share with you. And that's why we at Cold Case Frozen Tundra are Podcorn users ourselves. The Podcorn platform makes it simple to communicate directly with brands listed in their marketplace, learn more about their brand's history, products, and values, and then propose partnerships with easy-to-follow terms that don't ask us to give away any rights to our show. Podcorn even creates a dashboard for each podcast that allows potential partners to quickly see the information they need to know like the average number of episode downloads, and make choices that best suit their brand and their sponsorship needs. So we know we are partnering with a great brand and product, and they know exactly what they're getting in return. Whether you're a podcaster yourself or a brand interested in sponsoring shows like ours, we highly recommend Podcorn. Click the link in our episode notes or visit the Brands We Love section of our website to sign up for your free Podcorn profile and start browsing opportunities. Students at UW Oshkosh are hoping to find the body of a missing man since 1983. Today, students began helping in the search for Starkey Swenson. They're digging at an undisclosed site for the next three weeks, working with Winnipeg County Sheriff. A group of UW Oshkosh anthropology students this spring are participating in a very unique field study. They're working with the Winnebago County Sheriff's Office to help solve a 38-year-old missing persons case. Brand new tonight at 10, a UW Oshkosh professor and his students are out to find Nina businessman Starkey Swenson. Prosecutors got a manslaughter conviction back in 1994, but to this day there's no sign of the victim. A decades-old case in Northeast Wisconsin has a new break, too, one which investigators hope can bring a family some peace. New at 6, Dakota Sherrick learned how a UW Oshkosh class is helping dig into it. It's May 17, 2021. A group of around 25 anthropology students pick their way carefully down the sloping Amro, Wisconsin field making sure to step between the rows of recently sprouted corn toward the line of trees and unplowed brush beyond. They're carrying shovels, boxes containing hand trowels, and sifters, a sort of two-legged table with a screen mesh surface which can be shaken to separate loose dirt from larger objects contained in recently dug earth. The students pile the gear on tarps stretched across the ground near a handful of test pits dug previously at the site. Many of these narrow circular holes are pooled with water at the bottom, indicating the depth of the water table at points across the property. Just a couple of hundred feet down the tree line, Dr. Jordan Karsten discusses strategy for the excavation with a handful of detectives from the Winnebago County Sheriff's Office. They've driven minivans and small SUVs along the edge of the field and parked near the site to keep their vehicles and radios close at hand. Most wear polo shirts and outdoor utility pants. Their badges hung on chains around their necks or clipped to their belts. Appropriate attire for the muggy morning and forecast of an especially warm summer day in Amro. Nearby, Starkey Swenson's grandson, Eric, 
unloads a myriad of tools from his pickup truck, and lays them out neatly on a tarp of his own. He's also brought coolers of water and snacks for those working at the site as a show of appreciation for the effort to provide answers in this decades-old case. Eric plans to be on site to assist in most of the search. As it turns out, he is a tool for nearly everything and proves an essential participant in the effort. Above the field and dig site, at the top of the hill near the road, landowners Jean and her family have set up a card table and chairs. They have binoculars to get a clearer view of the excavation effort. One member of the family has leaned a metal detector against a brick fire pit, which is rimmed with rocks, old metal parts, and other items the group has found in the field and woods over the years. He lets us know that, although he's run his metal detector over the site plenty of times, he's willing to scan various areas as needed once new ground has been exposed. I, Matt Hiskus, am there as well, lugging my bag filled with cameras and mobile recording equipment through the field towards the site at the bottom of the hill. I'm there to help with the search, but also to provide updates on our progress along the way. I'll interview students and speak with co-host Dr. Jordan Karsten as we try to offer a glimpse of the first week in the search for Starkey Swenson's missing remains and the quest for answers to this nearly 40-year-old mystery. This is Cold Case Frozen Tundra, Episode 8, The Search, Part 1. So we started our excavations, it's May 17. Uh, we met up at eight in the morning, and by the time we actually got some units in on some GPR located targets, it was about 9.20. Um, and so we've got two teams working two separate areas that look to potentially be promising locations for excavation. So why don't we go through w some of the roles that the students and the rest of the team are filling here so on the site. right now I'm kind of supervising but also running buckets between excavators and sifters but essentially we've got students two teams of four students each that are excavating at the two targets and then we've got the rest of the students so like 20 of them working on screen sifters and literally sifting through all the dirt um, that we're excavating. It's hard physical work and for Wisconsin in May it's going to be a warm one today in the mid 70s with some sun so it's going to be a hard hard day of physical labor without a doubt. And I think we're, we're digging at two main targets right now. There's probably another, how many more targets you think are already here? We have eight that have been identified by GPR. We finished digging one before today and so we've got seven we could knock out today. My guess is we'll do two or three total. And then you've got GPR coming again tomorrow to potentially scan another area yep. and find more targets. Yep, we're going to expand out our area in question. And then the goal is hopefully for us to cover as much of this area as we can in this three weeks. And every place that we can find with GPR, we'll excavate. We even have one spot here where the GPR hit and so did a cadaver dog. And so we'll probably excavate that one next once we finish up uh, one of our two, two current targets. <laughs> What types of things are we hoping to find? Obviously, we're looking for any skeletal remains that are related to humans. Skel what else? Well, I mean, if we could find any personal effects, clothes, anything else that we could tie to Starkey Swenson would be huge. I think that's going to be harder because 
many textiles and such would likely have decomposed over the course of 40 years. Not necessarily depends on the situation, but that's the that's uh, a bit, that's really what we're looking for. We really need to find human skeletal remains. Okay, yeah, and we're we're towards the back. Most of this field is plowed and planted farm field, but we're towards the back now. And this is the area they were most interested in searching, right? This, this is. This is the area that the landowners remember John Andrews down here at night with his headlights on, quote-unquote, gardening. And it doesn't look, of course, this is 40 years later, but I wouldn't say it looks like a garden at this point at all. No, and I don't think it ever really did. Um, this Back in 1983, this area was basically pasture land. Small amounts, uh, small amounts of trees, lots of big stones that were left over from the glaciers. Um, but this, it's, it's definitely got more trees than it did in 83, and we're going to have to deal with those trees, potentially with bulldozers, too. All right. Well, should we go find them? Let's go find them. The search for the remains of Starkey Swenson and Amro, just a short drive down the road from the bar which John C. Andrews reported as his alibi for the night of the murder, kicks off with good weather, good spirits, and plenty of targets to excavate. Okay, so, all right, we'll use that. This is what we want to do here. We're going to center like a, let's say like a two-by-two two unit. That's Dr. Karsten. He's explaining to a group of students how he'd like them to approach one of our first targets for excavation as detectives listen in. As Dr. Karsten explains, the target is especially interesting as it not only registered as an anomaly with the use of ground-penetrating radar, or GPR, but it is also a location in which cadaver dogs alerted to the possible presence of human remains. If you recall our earlier interview with Jean, one of the owners of the Amro property, she mentioned a cadaver dog in training had been brought to the site roughly a year ago and signaled the possibility of a body being buried on the land. This is that spot. right on where these cadaver dogs hit and where the GPR hit. And so we'll set that unit up right now. Then what we'll do to try to speed up a little bit is we'll use some shovels to chunk off the very top, the top with the roots and the grass. We're just gonna put that over in a, like one of the spots that's cleared so we don't have to sift it. Once we get to that point, we'll start digging just like the rest of these units, going down nice and even across the two by two unit and we'll sift all of that. So we can set that up right now, but we just need to, does anybody have a cell phone on them that has a compass? Yeah, sure. We got an actual compass. Could use that too. That's Starkey's grandson, Eric, stating he has an actual compass. Did I mention he had a tool for everything? He's also just an all-around great guy, and we are lucky to have him joining us. As you heard, the team is setting up to dig square pits at the sites of the first several GPR hits. They use a compass to string brightly colored rope lines between stakes, marking the boundaries of each pit, ensuring that the excavated area is perfectly square and does not creep into any other zone that could be excavated later. Although shovels are used to break through the dense tangle of surface grasses and their roots, the team quickly shifts to trowels once past that layer to maintain a flat, uniform surface as they move deeper into the ground. This careful and methodical work with a trowel also helps prevent the accidental removal of any small bones or artifacts that might be missed with a less precise instrument. And this is how the excavation proceeds. It's cautious, persistent work for those who are digging. 
for others who are carrying away the large buckets filled with excavated dirt and those who are vigorously shaking the soil through sifters, it's sweaty and difficult. At least the students are a motivated and excited group. So, uh, what's your name? Uh, Nikki Faye. And what grade are you in, Nikki? I'm a senior. Hi, uh, my name is Robin, um, and I'm a sophomore. Sophie Salm. Sophie Salm. And uh, what year are you in? I'm a sophomore. I'm going to be a junior. Lexi McCarthy. I am a junior going into my senior year right now. Brianna Costello. And what year are you in? Um, I actually just graduated. Today we have been um, excavating. We started around 8 a.m. and we have been digging pits and kind of just seeing what we can do. We've been digging and um, trying to get the walls and the floor nice of the pits to get it all even so we can see the different lines of stratigraphy. Um, And we've been doing a lot of sifting of dirt. (laughs) We have been working our upper bodies a lot. (laughs) Do you think we'll find uh, Starkey today? Mm, I don't know. This is the first day. I'm not sure if we'll find it (laughs) today. But, you know, I'm hopeful that we'll find it before this dig is up, you know? We'll find him soon. Soon. (laughs) I hope so. What if you could have local, fresh groceries delivered right to your door without ever having to leave your home? With Instacart, you can do just that, giving you even more time for the things you love, like listening to Cold Case Frozen Tundra. Unlike the other guys who nickel and dime you each time you use their app, Instacart offers unlimited grocery delivery for one low monthly fee. Forget that key ingredient for your secret recipe? No worries, you have unlimited deliveries. Instacart can have a personal shopper bring it right to your door in as little as one hour. That's right. Instacart lets you shop multiple stores in a single order, highlights deals to help you save money, and their shoppers hand-select the products you love based on your preferences. If you like, you can even receive smart suggestions for new items that pair well with your groceries that you usually buy. Instacart's personal shoppers pick the freshest produce and keeps your eggs safe, too. Click the link in this episode's show notes or visit the Brands We Love section of our website to use our unique referral code and let Instacart know we sent you. Not only does it help support our show, but you, as a new Instacart user, will receive free delivery on your first order over $35. Instacart, save yourself that trip to the market and spend more time doing the things that you love. So we're nearing the end of day one. Throughout the day today, we've completed digging down to the layer where nobody could have possibly dug based on stratigraphic layers. In four holes, but we still have two large holes going, and tomorrow we'll be bringing the GPR out. We've only gone through about an eighth of the property with GPR here and have about four more targets to dig tomorrow in addition to anything that will come up. It's no longer here, but back in the 80s, there was an access road, the one John Andrews used, that came down from the road towards this area that we've been digging in, which is why it's our area of focus. If you recall from Gene and others, 
John Andrews used to garden at night using the headlights of his car from the access road. Because of this, we probably have another two-thirds of the area that would still be reachable by car headlights to go through and see if there are any more spots that are interesting to us, in addition to digging up all the other ones. We've found so far a number of boulders, which will throw off the GPR, some interesting pieces of buried metal, a couple pieces of turtle bone, and some fiber-like substance we thought maybe were closed, but it also might be really old tin foil. As we wrap up day one and head into day two of the search, we haven't found any human bones at the site, but we have made a couple of discoveries, such as the clothing or tin foil, to investigate further. The detectives take our findings and place them in evidence bags to be tested. In my update from the scene, I mentioned the old access road to the property, the one Gene mentioned neighbors saw John Andrews using for his nighttime gardening. While much of the property we've searched to this point is certainly within range of the headlights shown from that road, we are especially excited about the targets we hope to discover in the new area to be searched with GPR. Here's an update from the morning of day two. Um. We ended up here a little bit earlier at 5.30 in the morning because we thought we were going to be on a TV morning news show, but then that got canceled because of breaking news. But we got started working early at 5.30 today. We've been able to finish up three trenches that were marked by the GPR. Um, they had large rocks inside uh, or they had like wetland soil uh, that set off the GPR in terms of disturbed soil. And so we've been able to mark those off in terms of our search for Starkey Swenson. We have had one exciting development, which is the fact that we found uh, some tarp that is sticking out of the ground, like old weathered tarp. Um, not and, the blue tarp you see nowadays. No, not a blue tarp you see nowadays. Real highly fibrous stuff. Canvas looking. Yep, like canvas looking. And so we've got a three meter by three meter unit set up there. We haven't GPR'd that part of the property yet. Um, but we're going to excavate that that spot in an attempt to see if there's anything beyond beyond the tarp there. So it, at least artifactually, a very interesting development. So what else is the plan for today? The plan for today is for us to keep digging as much as we can. Hopefully we're going to have some G, the GPR guys here and the GPR guys are going to allow us to continue to expand out our areas with targets. Uh, and which is good because we've almost... In that clip, you heard Dr. Karsten mention the tarp we found in one area of the property. Although that particular spot had not yet been examined with GPR, the decision was made to set up an excavation pit on that spot due to the canvas material that was present. As the team continued to dig, several pieces of the tarp-like material were uncovered of varying sizes. Together, the sections of material are far from comprising a complete tarp or even a seamless fragment of one. But there was enough of the material present to collect in evidence bags and send to a textile expert for further testing. In addition to the tarp, one other item of interest was found in the same excavation pit. It's a small, rounded metal cylinder, closed on one end and open on the other, with a single hole in one side. It's rust-colored, or possibly red, to Dr. Karsten and I, it resembles a cap of some kind, with a small hole serving as a place to insert a tightening screw. 
we set it aside to be collected in evidence. More on that metal piece later. Okay, it's around noon on day two. We have seven active pits going. A number of others have been closed. There's about 40 people working here on the site. Off to the side, detectives are here assisting a GPR team, which is trying to navigate through some pretty dense underbrush and old tree stumps and branches that have fallen down over the many years from storms. Local media has just arrived here. They're interviewing Dr. Karsten and the students, um, talking about the work that's being done here. And it really is quite an impressive site. We're probably covering an acre of land here. We have a number of additional targets yet to discuss later, um, dig into. And additionally, we continue to identify more targets. The GPR team has a small handheld device that they can put inside our pits to test further down to see if there's additional anomalies underneath the level that we've already dug to. But overall, things are moving quite smoothly. We'd like to take a quick moment to thank the Gardener Company, which has been assisting the search by providing GPR at the site. Not only has their top-of-the-line equipment proved invaluable in identifying the spots we've already begun to search, as well as several additional targets to span the remaining weeks of the excavation, but they've also brought out extra equipment, such as their handheld GPR device, which allows our team to determine whether a pit has been dug to the correct level, or if areas of interest remain just out of sight beneath the layer of earth we've reached. With the help of GPR, our team has multiple targets to investigate as we head into day three of this week's four days of excavation. So it's the start of day three. We are in the car traveling to the site. Uh, looking forward to today, even though it's been a rainy start, Dr. Karsten. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, we woke up, it was pouring in Green Bay. We watched the radar. It looks like we're gonna get some clear weather between now and three or four o'clock. We don't know what the situation is like on the ground yet, but it's because we've got a lot of clay soils, there's a good chance that that soil is going to basically be impossible to excavate. It's just going to be too muddy um, and it's going to make it even harder to screen and some of that soil is already really hard to screen. So we might change the plan up a little bit and do a pedestrian survey. And so we're going to we're going to walk along the farm field near the part of the property where John Andrews was active uh, in the hopes of finding maybe anything that was turned up by the plows that went through the field. I don't know that there's, it's very likely we're going to find anything, but it's just doing our due diligence. That shouldn't take very long at all. And then at that point, we're going to switch our attention to doing a pedestrian survey of the wooded area that we've been focusing on our GPR and excavations. What we're looking for is any type of skeletal material on the surface. Yesterday, Matt found a large bone, but it's faunal um, present. And so we're gonna take a look to see if there's anything else. And really importantly, if we can find any kind of depressed area, um, you know, in that wooded part of the property, We'll flag it with a pin flag and just 
subjected to the same kind of excavations that we've been doing around the property, even if we don't get a hit there on GPR, just to give us as much coverage that properties can possibly have. So you mentioned the faunal bone or animal bone that we found yesterday. Um, you know, we had a couple of exciting finds and we also made some really good progress digging some of the initial targets that we had located with GPR, but um, what else were your takeaways from yesterday? I mean, I think the biggest thing that we got that was probably the most interesting was where we, in one spot of the property, we found some tarp, looked like really old tarp, um, that it was in pieces sitting on the ground. Uh, when we excavated that spot, we actually also found this small metal cap it looks really similar to the type of metal cap you might have on the end of a bicycle wheel um, or maybe even a pedal on a bicycle. Now, we don't know that for a fact. I mean, that is a lot of speculation because those same kind of metal caps that have a hole for pinning could be found on a whole bunch of different equipment. But we're going to look into it and see, you know, what the chances are that that may have been part of a bicycle. Um, I, th I think that so far is undoubtedly our most interesting find. And that was found in the same pit with some pieces of vintage canvas tarp that were initially very interesting to us, but really once we pulled those aside and dug underneath them, it looks like they were scraps, so they may have come from another part of the property or could have come from another part of the property. It's hard to say. I mean, there are so many reasons you'd have tarp out there. It's really hard to say. We were really lucky yesterday to also have a buddy of mine, Dr. Ryan Schmidt, who's another anthropologist, come out and help us excavate in that location. And so we were able to wrap up our dig there, um, you know, and we got down into some intact stratigraphy uh, down a foot or two. And um, so we wrapped up our dig in that location, but yeah, the finds on the surface there are very close to the surface, that bicycle or potential metal cap, I guess I should say. Uh, and then the tarp were interesting. We'll have to see what we can figure out with that metal cap. I mentioned I'd bring up the metal cap again. At the time it was found, several of us had spent time at the scene poring over photos of bike parts from the 80s, 70s, and even 1960s in hopes of finding a match. Sadly, we were not able to come up with anything. Wednesday night, however, Kyle, one of the detectives involved in the search, did some additional research. He found what he believed to be a possible match. The small cylinder of metal found at the Amro property appeared to be similar to the dust cover from a bike pedal a small piece that covers the bolt threaded from the outside of the pedal toward the crank and chain, protecting that bolt from grime, dirt, and dust, as the name suggests. Detective Kyle's possible match came from a 1950s-era bike. It's a bike made by Raleigh, the same brand Starkey Swenson rode. Later discussion with Starkey's family members revealed that it was, in fact, a 1950s-era cruiser that Starkey Swenson had owned. On Thursday, as the team continued to dig at the Amro property, Dr. Carson arranged for a contact who was an expert in bicycles to take a look at the piece of metal we'd found next to the tarp-like material in Amro. 
Not only did the expert have access to significantly more images and parts lists from old bicycles, he actually owned a 1950s era rally himself. He confirmed the metal piece was a possible match for a rally pedal dust cover. As the search team heads into its second week of excavation, no human remains have yet been found, but they've made significant progress. We have several intriguing targets to begin excavating and some very interesting leads in the out-of-place tarp material and the possible bike part. Join us next time as the Amaro excavation continues. We seek more information on the canvas tarp and learn more about whether the possible metal dust cover is a match for the exact model of bike Starkey Swenson owned. If you want to know more about the Starkey Swenson story, we highly recommend you visit our website or follow our social media channels on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube for additional information, behind-the-scenes footage, and more. We will continue to post insider content and updates as this real-time investigation progresses. You can find our social media pages using the links on our website or by searching for us on our social media platforms. We'd like to take a moment to thank those who helped us compile information on this case, including the Winnebago County Sheriff's Department, Newspapers.com, and individual citizens who've shared their knowledge. Our theme music was created by Mario Cole 06 and is available for download from Pixabay.